This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022. But today, I'd like to tell you about one in particular, a standalone thriller called Decimate. It's the terrifying story of what happens to our kitchen here at the studio um, when I ask Christopher to make the tea. Yeah, no. When I said improvise the promo, I didn't say you could make shit up. I am not making this up. Look at that kitchen. Okay. Hi, party people. Decimate is actually a thriller about telekinesis and near-death experiences. The page-turning tale of a woman who becomes convinced her brother is being held hostage by a supernatural force following his death in a fiery plane crash. It has nothing to do with tea or our kitchen, and you can pre-order it on Amazon now. And while it is spine-tingling and terrifying, it is nothing compared to what I'm going to have to order off of Amazon to clean up that kitchen. Will you shut up about tea and our kitchen? Oh, I never shut up about tea. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Gwen. <laughs> and you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. This is however gonna, reluctantly. This is going to be a really interesting Christopher episode. Christopher is having a moment. Eric here. always p- it has depicts to be prepared it. exactly. No, it's Everything freezing. Has to be. It's freezing and there in is our a, studio. There is a remote control on the table, and I have told Christopher he should turn the air conditioner All down. He is freezing. I but instead, did he was bundled. Up like somebody's myself in a in a comfortable blanket that then fucked up my microphone cord and that's that's all and I feel unsafe uh, and I feel attacked by cords which is my least favorite form can of attack. We get more cords, no snakes are your least no, favorite. Oh god, no, no, I don't want to do snakes. Eric Shaw Quinn, do you know what I'm getting into? I don't know what Etsy. Okay. Do you know about Etsy? Have Have you seen the frogs at Christmas? <laughs> What is you're going to have to explain to everybody what you mean by that statement? Because only you can talk about Etsy frogs as if they are as normal as baked goods at Christmas. What frogs? Give us context. The annual Go. Christmas frogs. Okay. Well, of course, everyone knows about Christmas no. frogs. What are they? Um, uh, 500 years ago, um, mm-hmm. when Christopher was younger. Yeah, um, like 40. I went to... Uh, Anne moved to California. Mm-hmm. Anne Rice. Anne Rice, My Christopher's mother. mom, moved to California. Name drop. And we had a housewarming party. I think was the occasion. Anyway, it was she was doesn't live there anymore, but it was a house in La Jolla, and mm. I went down there. And Christopher had said he asked all of his writer friends to bring copies of their books mm-hmm. to um, fill the library at the mm-hmm. new house. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought that was a wonderful ask. But to just put just a little bit of finish on it, I found these. um, I thought they were kind of beautifully done. Bronze um, 
bookends, I believe at Restoration Hardware, that were the frog prince, you know, with his little crown. You kiss mm-hmm. him and he turns into the prince and whatever. Right. Um, and I gave them to um, to Anne at the time, and she was like, wow, this, it really meant something to her. Her husband, who was recently, had recently passed at that point, maybe mm-hmm. a year or so ago, um, had always called their home Toad Hall. And mm. it just, to her, felt, made it feel like she was home, she said. That yeah. it was like a sign that she had done the right thing, moving to the West Coast and reestablishing and getting into the... Anyway, it was it meant a great deal to her. She re- she was really very gracious about the gift, which I had thought was a nice touch, but I didn't realize it was going to, like... she. Was, in fact, to be uh, full disclosure, she was way more impressed with the bookends than she was with the books. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting here thinking, I remember that, what happened to all those books? Where did they end up? I have no idea, but yeah. they all were signed books from all of us, and I don't even remember who the other authors were because, mm. you know. You're you. I am me, and it's really secretly all about me. Everybody and yet drinks. everybody drinks when I make it about me on well, this podcast, because, but you always make it about you. Well, what it, do they do? I have a sandwich? It already is all about no, me. That's what you think. Okay. Um, anyway. I, anyway, so as a result of that, right. I started... Whenever I found a, uh, a frog prince, I would uh, pick it up, uh, you know, little tchotchkes here and there. And then birthdays and Christmas and occasions for Anne, I would always give her a frog prince. And then I I can't remember how long ago we we would go out and we started spending Christmas out at – I started – I got invited to start spending Christmas with uh, Christopher and Anne at Your Anne's security house. clearances went through. Right, finally. Mm-hmm. And uh, despite all of those uh, those red flags. Anyway, um, and so I started doing this thing where every day that I'm there for a visit, I get a little gift for Anne. Mm-hmm. So every day at breakfast, there's another little, and I mean little, like little tchotchkes and whatever. But frogs comprise... A, Frog princes. They have to be frog princes. Not just any damn no, frog. Can't just be a frog. He has to have a crown. Um, right. Comprise a sizable portion of that gift. And so you've got to find them where you do. And Etsy has been hugely helpful. That fountain that I got year before last, yeah. that was an Etsy uh, frog prince fountain. That was pretty. I really, I had this image in my head, and I'll explain why I ended up on Yetsy. <laughs> Yetsy. <laughs> it's Don't a, do that when I have a mouthful of tea. I almost drown. It's a craft, oh my god! It's a craft store, but Yetzi. for the abominable snowman. It's uh, it's uh, it's uh, Kanye West's answer to Etsy. It's Yetsy. Okay. I'm not gonna be able to come back from this. Okay, um, uh, Etsy. I just thought it was going to be all yarn. I just thought it was going to be all things made out of yarn, like yarn. Po- I and just there didn't... is a substantial yes. representation of things made out of yarn. Don't you? Don't be fooled. But I, I like to. Um, but that's not it. Every now and then, I like to look at um, book tubers, YouTubers who talk about book stuff, and I love my bookstagrammers. But I was watching one vlogger talking about her reading habits and her reading hobbies because you know you're always leaning on me to get a hobby because I'm so neurotic and crazy when I'm not making up stories. And I'm doing anything to get you to leave me alone. Absolutely. Stop calling. Oh, we forgot to... We have another thing to talk about, which I think we teased on a previous episode. But anyway. um, 
This was, she said she goes to Etsy, not Yetsy, to order bookmarks. And I was like, a light went on in my head because I love bookmarks. I still love reading physical books when it's possible. But my bookmarks are always like shit. Like, I'll have some that are from friends and that are branded to them. Um, you're going to say France. I have some from France, from, from my Yeti friends in France. France, yes. France. No, I have some from friends at romance conferences. You know, it's like their branded bookmarks that they hand out of swag. Uh-huh. But they're, I never have the right size. Like, I never have the one that I want that's not going to stick out of both ends of the mass market paperback that I'm reading. So I was like, I this. I love that that's your kind. Con- oh, you, there's a right size I'm of going bookmarks. to get obsessed. I made, I got, I got the Etsy app on my phone and when you were yeah. texting me last night which leads into our next yes, discussion yes he specializes in uh, wild contact lenses and weed <laughs> yes <laughs> okay we have to we can't do a whole podcast about Yetsy we were texting and I was on Etsy buying holographic bookmarks because um, there's a like lot of shit. Do. I don't want cats and autumn leaves. I don't want just cr- I want I like want the stars. Quality. French. <laughs> really fine I like French, French bookmarks. Only French abominable snowman bookmarks for me from here on out. But we were texting about our other new obsession. And this is today an episode of True Crime TV Club. And if you're nervous that the show I'm about to bring up is the focus, don't worry. It's not. We're just going to talk about it shortly. But it Oh, become... yeah. Last we talked about it. We teased it at the end of last week's episode. Our new obsession. Murder, Murder she, she wrote. wrote. <laughs> it's really... Every, all 10,000 episodes are on Peacock, which points to Peacock. Yes! We've saved the, our Save the Peacock campaign has really paid off for us. They right? finally figured out that they are a streaming network, and I think they have some notion of how streaming networks work. I, they didn't have I, the new Dateline. You have I'm, to wait a day for the new Dateline. I'm line, not apparently. completely dialed into it, but that's it. The networks that have streaming, they all do that. They all they fuck make up you that wait. way. They okay. make you wait a day, even though they're getting you to pay for no ads, which is like. That seems really wrong. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so, but yeah, we did have the Save the Peacock campaign. And now that we can watch them on Amazon Fire, now that it's easily available to us, we have suspended the campaign temporarily because we're getting what we want out of that. Right. It's not really a Which is statement. really our whole point for exactly. doing the campaign. We weren't really all that interested in the, well, we weren't not interested in the Peacock, but right. we were more interested in being able to watch it since we were, in fact, paying for it. Right. Um, it would have been nice to see it, and now we can, and it's all about Murder, She Wrote. And Murder, we, She Wrote. We, we, not only do we talk about it, but whenever possible, we text as we're going through the, the, the show, sometimes together, and sometimes it's the person who's already seen the show. Mm-hmm. And then they can text back and forth with the person who's going through the show. Right. But yeah, a surprising amount of our time is is currently spent on Murder She Murder Wrote. She Wrote. It because is really is starting thing. to be I, yeah. when when I was a little boy, we would watch it in the kitchen of our house at thirty eight eighty seven Seventeenth Street in San Francisco's Castro District, and. I always remember my grandfather. Where they don't live now, so we don't live the, anymore. Leave those people alone. We don't leave leave those people alone. They're probably nice gays because of the neighborhood. So I remember my grandfather. My grandfather saying he didn't like Angela Lansbury because she looked like um, 
her her cheeks were full of chestnut shells and they were going to come spilling out at any minute. And then my my mother would say that her father hated women and that's why he said that. So there was that association. But the one thing I could remember from one episode <laughs> was that when the murderer was revealed, it was revealed that this woman in a kitchen freezer picked up... <laughs> picked up a giant frozen tuna and hit the victim over the head with it. And I remember this was presented in the recreation, And then you cooked will. it and ate it, so there was no sign of the I murder I wish weapon. it was that interesting. But maybe that actually is what happened. When we get to that I'm episode, we'll sure freak out. It. Okay, anyway, all I could remember was my entire family laughing hysterically as the woman clubbed the guy to death with the giant frozen tuna. And I was like, well, that's not a show I want to go back to. But then I can't God, remember. Really, that's what been. I would have been sold. <laughs> Giant frozen tunas as murder weapons. Sign me I'm up. So in, and a woman who's big and strong enough to swing one of them. Uh, it wasn't very convincing. Like See, a it was more like a. Way. They're styro- huge. The They're... styrofoam tuna was more what it yeah, was like. Okay, I think that's probably true. But I'm trying to remember what got us started watching Murder She Wrote, and I can't. I can't remember. I think that the... I will tell you what I think happened is I switched back to cable from from watching whatever I was watching on um, Fire, on the mm-hmm. Amazon Fire, and Murder, She Wrote was on, mm-hmm. and I was in, I was, I started watching it, it was kind of midway through, and I started watching it, but the commercials, it comes on on Hallmark Murders and Mysteries channel, which mm-hmm. my TV is frequently tuned to, Um <laughs> Um, but the, the commercials were endless, and it was late. And I thought, "Huh, I, th- maybe this is maybe I can watch the same episode on fire, but without the commercials, and be done sooner." Because mm-hmm. I wanted to know who did it, right? Because that's how I am. Once I've started, I have to know who did it. I'll watch whole seasons, which of television is sort of shows a ridiculous I thing, though, hate. because you always know who did it. You I really predict the murderer do. every time. Almost, it's almost always true. I mean, and I'm not just talking about murder. She wrote. I'm no. talking about any show. any show. And sometimes it doesn't even. Anyway, that's a different conversation. So I switched back over. I discovered it was on Peacock. I actually found the episode and I watched it. And then I told Christopher and about I it got the next triggered. day. And Christopher was like. All of the episodes of Murder, She Wrote are on Peacock. I'll have to check that out. So then you watched and the I first one. And I got started, one. which took two days because it was an hour and a half and parts yeah, of it, it were Yeah, it was boring. a two-hour premiere. Because um, the opening of Murder, She Wrote is about introducing her as a character and an author and then introducing a murder mystery on top of that. And back in the day, pilot episodes of shows were like two hours long. Yeah. They were like movies. And what primed me, if you will, what got me in the mood for it to begin with, was I decided I really wanted to go back to something craptacular from my childhood, so I found DVDs of the Aaron Spelling series Hotel, which was set in San Francisco at the time that I lived there and is deliciously... Craptacular. Um, craptacular. And so I was already, like, I was edging on 80s stuff, if you will. Um, don't say what hand gesture I just used. And so I was ready to go there. So this has been my Murder, She Wrote story. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Um, yeah. So we began with the, and then you were complaining about how challenging it was and whatever. And I was like, huh? How challenging what was? Watching the first episode. Oh, right. Yeah. And I thought, really? That's not how I remember it starting. Because I didn't remember it starting the way that it apparently started. Yeah. Uh, So maybe I started in the middle of the series. Anyway, so um, then I had to watch it. Mm -hmm. And then it it was off. And now we're. 
I don't know, about halfway through the first season, and there are 10,000 more episodes to it go. It was so. on from 1984 to 1996. Which is unbelievable. Angela Lansbury is the richest woman in the world. She must be richer than God. Like, it just, and she owned the show for the last four years outright. Wow. And it was a show that was getting from 30 to 40 million viewers a week. Mm-hmm. So I just, yeah. my God, that's totally. a hit beyond. I remember when I first moved to Los Angeles, all of the buildings, all of the sound stages at um, Universal Studios where it was filmed uh, were covered with Murder, She Wrote. Yeah. Huge ads for and murals about and pictures mm-hmm. of it was the murder she wrote capital of the world because it was probably funding the whole studio at I that point. I bet. I bet. And Cabot Cove was often or the harbor at Cabot Cove, which was her hometown, was also part of the Jaws ride at the Universal Studios yes. tour. However, there is a lot of Cabot Cove that was shot in Mendocino, California, which is one of my favorite places, even though I've never been. It's on my bucket list, if you will. Um, and the the you went online and found that there is a bed and breakfast there now. That is Jessica's that is her house. house. The exterior, so you could at least. stay at Jessica's anyway. um, bed and breakfast in uh, in uh, Mendocino. I think she was never one time she was filmed outside the house, and the rest were just an exterior shot from ten years ago for the rest of the series. This concludes our conversation about Murder She Wrote. Oh my God! And it's taken over the it's show. It's taken the first fifteen minutes. I feel a Murder <laughs> She Wrote appreciation <laughs> podcast coming on. But when we come back, we're going to have a true crime TV club with Southern Gothic. They call me Animal. <laughs> Eric. Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet? That depends. Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men. Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio, and now I'm being harassed by seagulls. Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press. When a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room. Brandon! Come get this seagull! I can't help it if my writing sets the scene. I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich? Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. (laughs) 
why would I go to your website for that? Again, you're sitting right here. All right. Well, for people who aren't right here, ChristopherRiceBooks.com is a great place to get information about my new releases. Which you'll give me copies of because I'm sitting right here. Yeah, maybe. But for those who aren't currently sitting in our studio on the Sunset Strip, check out my website, sign up for my mailing list, and check out all the posts on my blog where I talk smack about Eric Shaw Quinn. What smack? Shut up and read this new book I wrote. Fuck that and fuck ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad? Okay, so Southern Gothic is a new show to True Crime TV New Club. from Yetzi. New from Yetzi. You're just, it's going to be like your device for stunning me. You're just going to say Yetzi. Yetzi. And I'm going to follow. Watermelon. <laughs> Watermelon. Okay. <clears throat> Southern Gothic. They call me animal. Um, this is a newer show. This was produced in 2020. The crime it talks and about. And what did you just say to me about... This show in the... Uh, oh, we're doing every fucking episode. <laughs> I was so... Drone shots, good photography, minimalist music. The reenactors weren't completely terrible. And the reenactment was very lightly yes. done. Yes. Oh. It was just sort of atmospheric um, reenactment. They didn't try and reenact any of the significant parts of the story. Yes, absolutely. And it was... Um, and no bad wigs. No bad wigs. And it was the South that I remember. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty small town south. We open in Hawkins, Texas, which is 100 miles east of Dallas. Small town south. The high school is the heart of the town, also a small town staple. Very Texas. Their slogan is once a hawk, always a hawk, which will be disappointing to shapeshifter fans out there. (laughs) And I'm also disappointed that the Hawkins, it's the Hawkins Hawks. Like, really? Like is the one the, thing, it was Hawkins, Texas, and it's yeah, the Hawks. Hawkins, Hawks. So it's the Hawkins, Hawks, and it's like really. Like, but I bet the people, one place the Hawks shouldn't have been is Hawkins. Hawkins, yeah, that's really annoying. Should be the Hawkins Eagles. Yeah. Or, well, I'm glad we have Hawkins our, Peregrines or the Hawkins Falcons. Or, I'm glad we have our focus on the right thing, given the story of murder and grief we're about to cover. That we're you know indicting the local mascot. I think that's always that's a good thing to good place to start. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm from. I'm, I'm from, getting eyebrows. I'm from Natchitoches, so we're always talking smack about East Texas. Absolutely, <laughs> totally. And my father's people are from Dallas, so this is basically my part of the country. So on Sunday, May fourth, nineteen eighty-six, Brian Boom, nineteen years old, Gina Turner, twenty years old, and Suzanne Harrison, eighteen are hanging out together. It's May, and by May, as the interview subjects tell us, it is basically summer temperatures in East Texas, and when it is warm in Hawkins, you hang out at Lake Hawkins. They were supposed to return home that evening. Or else. By 10 (laughs) p.m., which was unusual. It was unusual when they did not return home by 10 p.m., is how I meant to read the notes that I wrote and then incorrectly read on my own podcast. (laughs) Because... The person that he does the podcast with won't just won't shut up. <laughs> We're at peak tea threshold right now. There's a lot of peak tea. I'm doing peak tea hand gestures. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> focus, focus, focus. True Crime TV Club in one, two, three. Okay. As their classmate points out, he's interviewed, um, and this is years after this has all taken place, people did not have cell phones in 1986, so if you didn't show up where you were supposed to be, 
people got very worried. It was very the fast. only way to check in. Like, yeah. If they didn't see you, they didn't know where you were. And it, they got worried a lot faster because there was no, well, call him and find out where he is or no. what's going on because there was none, none of that. They were, they'd gone to the lake, so they weren't any phones at all. And they weren't, the lake wasn't that far away from where they lived either. So apparently not. Suzanne Harrison, one of the three, she's an only child and she's very close with her mother. So her mother is understandably immediately concerned. Uh, Suzanne. Because if you got a bunch of children, why would you care if one of them went missing? I, <laughs> Eric's Parenting Tips 101. <laughs> um, Suzanne is described as a very positive, upbeat person and a cheerleader. She wanted to be a teacher when she grew up. Uh, everyone in this particular friend group is planning to graduate from high school and go on to college. Uh, Gina, uh, the other woman of the trio, is a good student. She studies hard. She had already graduated from Hawkins High, and she was their valid Victorian when she did so. She and Suzanne remained very good friends, and they often wore the same clothes, which was apparently a more common thing for young women to do then. Eric Shaw Quinn as the 1986 consultant. Uh, you know, one of the things that I, I have to say that I, I began to sense in this particular episode was that the relationship between these two young women may not have been all that was reported. Mm. It was just, there was a sense of that. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't, I wasn't like, it didn't bowl me over, but like... A boy and two girls go to the lake, and there is absolutely no romantic connection mm-hmm. between any of them. I had a similar thought. And I was like, hmm. I, mm-hmm. And then they showed the pictures of the group, and I was like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I just felt like there was insights there were that we were just going to skip past because, you know— there are no gay people in uh, on Tondry Parish. I know, right? And I will say this: <laughs> this was very much like what the town thinks of itself. It was very sort of, you know, it was very, very boostery yes. for Hawkins, Texas. Yeah. And, if and there good was, for them. They loved but it. But if there they... was anything dark lurking under the surface of that town, we didn't get at no, it in this special. It was not a word of it. Yeah. It was. It was very much they were. It was a, it was kind of a story about a town losing its innocence, really. Yeah, it was, really was. Because, I, you know, like whether they were gay or not is not really germane and nobody made any big effort to hide anything. I just kind of got a whiff of that from the circumstances and the description, particularly of the relationship between those two young women. Because they were not in school together anymore. Yeah. And yet they were still this connected. And I was like... Yeah, I don't remember. Brian Boone, the man of the trio, is described as tough and crazy, and neither of these is presented as an insult or something bad. It's like, oh, yeah, he was tough and crazy. He played football, which is like, Yeah, he was a defensive lineman for the football team. But when I saw his picture, I was like, he was a defensive lineman? Well, they'd kept showing that just sort of three-quarter shot. If they had showed that, yeah, it was like his senior picture or something. It was, yeah, if they told me that he was captain of the the figure skating team, I Mm -hmm. would have been, I would have believed it more readily than... Because of his stature. ...that he had been a lineman. He just looked too fragile to be um, a lineman. I was like, okay, defensive. He played defense for the, um, I don't know that he was a lineman necessarily, I... I don't know what a lineman actually is. I, I don't. Know I was much about, about to say, wow, you but, know more about football than I do. But, but he was a def- he was on the defense, um, paid play defense for the Hawks, the Hawkins Hawks, the Hawkins Hawks. Um, he's handsome, and all the girls liked him. That that was how I. But wrote it none down. of the girls were with him, and not the two that were with him. Neither of those, yeah. girls were with him. 
Uh, Monday, May 5th, 1986. It's the following day. There has been no sign of any of the three kids. Gina's dad gets on his horse, and he rides out to Lake Hawkins to look for them himself. There he finds the truck that they drove out there in. Inside are the girls' purses, the car keys, and other personal belongings. They immediately contact Wood County authorities. Uh, we're informed then that all of the county lakes have a county road that goes completely around them, so law enforcement knew exactly where to patrol. But along this road were oil drilling wells that they say complicated, I'm putting in air quotes, the search. And I, I was like, I don't know what you mean by that. Like, Yeah, what, I would they... think that the thing that would be complicating would be if the road didn't quite go all the way around. Yeah. That would seem way more complicating to like, oh yeah, there's an oil well, drive on by, we're not going to look for him there. <laughs> yeah, like I just, I don't know what that meant. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what that meant either, but it was apparently part of the... The landscape, it is East Texas, after all. So 12.45 p.m., Monday afternoon now, they make a discovery that nobody wanted to make. 20 miles away in a really remote area called Barnwell Mountain, a road crew discovers a body in a ditch. They're in another county at this point, so they have to call law enforcement there. The body is female. She suffered a terrible bleeding, a horrendous beating as they describe it, and she is partially nude, and her panties are around her throat, which suggests sexual assault. Um, this is all 15 miles northeast of Hawkins, Texas. The clothing, unfortunately, matches that worn by Suzanne Harrison the last time she was seen alive. A second set of women's shorts and underwear, presumed to be Gina Turner's, are found near Suzanne's body, but Gina's body is not found. Neither is Brian's. Suzanne, it turns out, was wearing a watch. They took this watch to her aunt and asked her if she could identify it, and she did right away. The aunt, in fact, owned the exact same watch. I think it was a, court, a gold quartz watch or something. It was a brand name I was familiar with at the time back then. But They do a grid search. They stop and interview motorists. One driver says, yes, he saw the on, the on the night that the kids went missing from the lake, he saw a blue Bronco speeding erratically away from the lake. So that's a piece of intelligence they didn't have before. Gina and Brian are still missing. At this point, they're suspecting, were they involved in the murder? Why has only Suzanne been found? Right. I mean, they haven't ruled anything out because they just have no clue what happened. And it's so, I mean, the town is really in shock. I mean, they've literally never had anything like this happen that they knew about. Um, this is when they really investigated, you know, what you were saying earlier. There was no romantic anything between the true, this, this three, I should say. This wasn't a love triangle gone wrong. There was no love between these three in that they sense. They were just friends. Um, the thing that is of greater interest to them or where the special pops next is that the oil derricks near the lake bring thousands and thousands of strangers to the area, some of whom are transients. And that may have been what they meant by complicating. That may, it was an editing thing. It was like, you're making this point about the oil derricks too soon because you're talking about a map and you're showing landscape and it's like, they don't. I mean, maybe yeah. I, that's just my uh, guess at this moment. The detectives review files related to Lake Hawkins from that time period, and they learn that there was another incident that happened around the same time. A woman named Denise Walker, who was interviewed now as an adult, uh, she was making out with her boyfriend Cliff at the lake. Oh, this was this such is terrifying. a terrifying story. A guy drives by really and I slowly. I want to date Cliff. Oh, yeah, and makes eye contact. He doubles back. He points a gun in Denise's face through the car window. She recognizes it as a 38 revolver because, as she says, I'm a Texas girl and I know my guns. The guy orders her boyfriend Cliff out of the car and says, give me your money. 
or I'm taking your woman. Her boyfriend opens the trunk and says, I'll give you a beer instead. Her boyfriend says, you're not taking my woman. Yeah. Right up front, doesn't appear to be the least bit afraid of the guy, Mm -hmm. and says, and opens the trunk and says, here, let's talk about it and have a beer. Like, had cold beer in the trunk, which probably he shouldn't have had, but just the same, saved their lives. Gave him a beer. The guy puts the gun in his belt, and they, you know, I don't know, talk for a few minutes, and then Uh he says, we're going to leave before her dad comes looking for her. So, like, I took that to mean that the boyfriend could realize the guy was already wasted and probably wanted another beer. Like, they realized the menacing crazy was substance The boyfriend gets... All the points. He needs to be the new police she chief married him. of Hawkins. Yes. I think she said, my then boyfriend and future husband. Yes. And I'm, you were like. That's reason yeah. enough right there. Like, wow, this is the guy. He is, that's, he's got it going on if that's how he handled this situation. Uh, and he also gets a partial license plate number on the Blue Bronco. Um, and as they leave, they say, this guy's going to kill somebody tonight. Yeah. They're also able to identify some of his tattoos. And when Cliff introduced himself to the man, the man responded with the title of the episode, They, they Call, call me, me Animal. Because Cliff introduced himself in an effort to make himself seem like a real person. And Yeah, Cliff should do law enforcement Cliff training. My God. Totally. Hostage like, negotiation. And de escalation. Like, yeah. just amazing. I just thought that is a truly amazing story because. She was, and the the woman said repeatedly. She said, "We were just driving away, and I kind of couldn't believe it because I just knew I was dead. I was going to die that night." She said she knew. Um, so this is probably where we should drop in that the Wood County, which is where Lake Hawkins is, has a constable. What is it? Not a sheriff, but a constable's office. Is that? Is there any legal? distinction between a sheriff and a constable or is it's it... like a barrister and a lawyer i just okay. really it's like i don't know like okay. maybe but if it's all you got i don't think there is much distinction like yeah if that's who you call when it's a crime you can call them you know abra wang or trudy if mm-hmm. you want to it's still the police <laughs> trudy this is our local Trudy. <laughs> I know Trudy. That's not Trudy. That's Dan from the sheriff's office. Right. No, he's our Trudy. Okay. Yeah, but um, it's just like I don't know what constable means, but if that's who you call when there's a crime, then right? It's kind of the same thing. I I don't I don't know what the distinction would be at that point because there's no separation of powers. No, because there's nobody else. Okay, so they call the constable's office, which is like a sheriff or a Trudy. And they give them the partial plate number. mostly like a treaty. They give them the partial plate number to a blue Bronco. They discover it is registered to a woman with the last name McFadden, who lives in Orr, O-R-E, as in Orr. As in Iron. As in Iron Ore City, Texas. They drive to the address, but nobody's there, so they put out an APB for the vehicle. It's now Tuesday, May 6, 1985. The vehicle is spotted by police. The driver is stopped. At gunpoint, they demand he raise his shirt. And this is less than a week after the crime itself. Oh, yeah. No, we're like, we've gone from Sunday, May 4th to Tuesday, May 6th. So it's just like and we're, days and we're, later. He's lifting his shirt and he's where he's got the tattoo that says Death Before Dishonor for the Lonesome Loser, um, otherwise known as I Did It. They run his criminal history and discover he has been convicted of rape in Denton County, Texas in 1971. Right. <laughs> 
I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. During our break, Eric Shaw Quinn was able to research what a constable is. I Would you like to my, share with us the results phone, of your search? And I think what what the reason they're using that distinction is that um, their sheriff's office or whatever it was that that covered this particular place. It's sort of like Vera on on a, you know. You make everything about Vera. Everything really is about Vera ultimately. But the point being that. This was a small, um, like, district within a larger law enforcement. So Ah. there's a hub somewhere with a sheriff or a chief of police or something. Uh And then in little areas like Hawkins, they have a branch office. Mm -hmm. And that that is staffed by a constable who is a law enforcement officer. As it says in the United States, they've got... All of the powers of stop and search and frisk and all of the stuff that you need to do to be a police officer. Yeah. What I just what I, I, I feel like we're that? already letting go of Trudy, and I'm really sad about that. Oh, I well, wanted I, it to be a Trudy. Like I say, we can still call him Trudy. It didn't. Obviously, it did not. That term had not reached Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia is where I go for Yetzi. my Yetzi information. Yeah, right, is on Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Um, it, it had not reached Wikipedia by the time I looked it up. Thirty <laughs> seconds after I came up with it. Okay, we have to stop. Um, we have to get. We have to focus. Is what we have to do. There's really horrible things happening in well, this episode like, of television. Animal has been arrested. He's been pulled over and arrested. But and. It's my understanding, never left jail again, right? Well, in 1970, they find out he was convicted of rape in Denton County in 1971. When he got out, he worked the oil fields, which would explain why he's in the area of Lake Hawkins. Um, He has a totally bullshit story about his harassment by gun of Denise and her boyfriend, Oh, my God. It was really like, but it was very creative. I was like, wow, that's... I mean, it's completely implausible and the stupidest thing I ever Nonsense. heard of. He but... says he recognized Cliff as a friend he knew from a bar. The gun was a toy. He was just stopping by to say hello. And was, you know, fooling around and pretending that he was being all bad. But really, he just... But then they bring up Gina, Suzanne, and Brian, and he shuts the F up, as the children say. That was the end of any conversation with animals. So he is arrested and he is charged with to the aggravated robbery, which... What did he steal? From, I guess the beer was given under duress. Like, what did he actually steal from Denise and Cliff? I thought he didn't make off with any of their property. He didn't. What was I it that he, he stole? stole? Anything was the aggravated robbery? Well, look it up on Wikipedia or whatever. No. You're... Wikipedia. Wikipedia, yeah. You you be careful. Right? <laughs> You're right. Wikipedia, they're, they're very sensitive. No, um, 
I I think honestly it was the attempt because he said, okay. "Give me your money." Right. With a gun, and so that was the attempted robbery. Yeah, I'm not trying to let Jerry off the hook here. I just want to make sure I didn't let a, a detail slip through the crack. If you put a gun on somebody I mean, in a fucking lake, I want you to go to jail. On like Wikipedia, yeah. but I don't think they give legal advice, even though yeah. they're a very helpful site. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think it was just the fact that he said, give me your money or I'll take your woman while pointing a gun at them. I think they frown on that. Good, good. I'm glad they do. Yeah. Um, Suzanne's, right out. Suzanne's funeral is held. And they still don't know anything about Brian and Gina's whereabouts. They've still not find their bodies, and they're burying one of the trio. They had to hold the funeral in a high school auditorium because no church in town was big enough to accommodate the crowd. Okay, we're now at Saturday, May 10th, 1986. The kids went missing on Sunday, May 4th. An exhausting search finally discovers Gina and Brian's bodies dropped in a ditch and shot to death. They are discovered along the road from Barnwell Mountain, which is where Suzanne's body was found, in a ditch that leads to Orr City, Texas, which is where McFadden's he truck was literally was on to. the way yeah. to his house. He was living there, yeah. And one of the things that I think is worth noting about Hawkins is they said that um, the men in the town would work a full day of work and then drive out to wherever the police line was and join the search. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone, everyone in town was involved in the search. They searched until they found those kids. And it was not like, it was a pretty remote area. It's yeah. not like they were searching behind the grocery flat, store. Flat, but remote. East Texas yeah. is really flat, but, but it's it was also very isolated. And whatever. Yeah. It was not, it was not like they were searching just wide open areas or whatever. It was it was a difficult search. And, and I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but something that one of the interview subjects, Mitchell, who is the lone black interview subject, I don't know how relevant that is, but he said that in later I was years... I guessing he must have been a pro football player or something because yeah. he knew him from playing football and then had gone on to... Yeah, he, he went. It maybe like we were he, supposed to recognize him. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, he seemed like maybe he was famous. But he said... That from then on out, the town referred to it as, were you here before the kids or were you here after the kids? And the kids were the three murdered teenagers. Um, Anyway, so this was a total loss of innocence event. To that effect, Gina's dad, who was a horse farmer, he's the one who rode his horse out to the lake. The day he got word Gina's body had been found, he, he rode his horse home, he put it in the barn, and he did not get on a horse again for eight years. I guess because he associated it with the search yeah. and with just the heartache. Very yeah, sad. it just broke everybody's heart. So here's the problem, though. There's no physical evidence linking McFadden to the crime scene where or the, the body discovery site of Gina and yeah, Brian. I have to say, one of the things they didn't touch on that I was a little annoyed with was the gun. The gun. Okay, the gun that was used in the robbery. There was of... a gun in the robbery, and the people were shot. Mm-hmm. So where's the gun? Right. Like, and, you know, he could have thrown it in a lake or whatever, but they never said they searched for the gun or they didn't find the gun or there was never any mention of the gun. And I was like, I kept waiting for that to come up again. Um, Also, there was a discussion of DNA, and I'm like, isn't this 1986? How far along was DNA? They say the forensic examiners compared DNA found on Suzanne Harrison's body to that extracted from McFadden's hair sample. Could that be done in the early 80s? I don't think it was, you know, like— Late 80s, excuse me. You couldn't, like, 
spit in a tube and mail it to somebody and get a result right. in those. I think it was a much bigger deal. It was sort of like we had computers then too, but you didn't. They wouldn't fit in your pocket. Yeah, back then, if you spit in a tube and mailed it to somebody, it was just for fun. You did it because for the love of it. Yeah, yeah. And they might be really pissed <laughs> off when they open their mail. Did you send me your spit? Did you spit in a tube and mail it to me again? Yeah. I told you to stop doing that. Um, um, yeah. But because of the fact that the bodies were exposed to the element for days, there's no trace evidence connecting McFadden to the to the corpses and to the scene. That's really the it's the exposure yeah. effect. Brian and Gina were not linkable to uh, McFadden, but Suzanne was. So they are also, able. They spelled Suzanne's name Susan. Did you notice that? This is a thing that happens on these specials. They show official law enforcement forms which use people's formal birth certificate names but it's not how their sisters and brothers refer to them I just or their was classmates like, hmm, yes i saw that too that's not how you spell suzanne it was anyway. spelled susan but susan. they all called her suzanne okay um they charge jerry mcfadden with capital murder for suzanne harrison's death and then he fucking escapes from jail which I was like, this is some small town shit. I was like, yeah, because in the reenactment, which is extensive, they show this advanced jail facility, but then they describe this escape that was like nothing, this no structure, it was like something this advanced out of the Keystone Cops. Oh yeah, so like he demands a phone call because the, that's a thing, and he's been in jail for a while. It's not like he was just arrested; he must have had his. Phone or call. you're allowed to just demand, beat on your door and demand a phone call. They send in, the dispatcher is in, or depicted as being in a protected, like, glass, you know. But it's not very protected, as it turns out. But they get a a, a deputy. And or, the rule is the deputy cannot have his own gun on him when he goes in to get McFadden out of his cell. So but he, he locks also, his gun. But he also does not bring in manacles or yeah. <laughs> leg irons or anything else. He just unarmed, goes in, lets the guy out of the cell, and then turns his back on him and starts walking down the hall away from him, leading him to the phone. Whereupon... Leading him to the phone and leading him to where he has locked up his gun, apparently. So he attacks the guy, and he takes the dispatcher, a woman named... a metal pipe that he's apparently removed from his bed. Where did he get the metal pipe? He detached it from something in his cell. Yeah, so he attacks and the... The leg of his bed or something. He hits him in the head, knocks him unconscious, goes into the room, threatens the woman who called the, the deputy in the first place. Rosalie Williams-Turner is her name. He takes her hostage, drags her out of the jail at gunpoint. They get in, I assume... And she is beautiful, by the way. They cut the photographs I of assume that like, it's her car. They get wow. in, They get in a car he and... He makes I'm, her lead yeah. into her car. They're driving. I'm sorry, you object to me talking about how beautiful <laughs> Rosalie Jenkins was? <laughs> it was in the middle of a statement. It was about her car. But yes, she was beautiful, and I have to say she was more beautiful than her reenactor. Yes. This is one of those specials where... Um, the real people were actually quite good looking. And, yes, better looking yeah. than the people who played them in the in the uh, crime special. Okay, so they're driving, uh, or, or is he driving? He's driving, right? Which is also stupid. I did not get that detail. Like, yeah. whatever they get to, they go out to the middle of nowhere. They uh, to some place. He makes he crashes her car. Which right. is a Mercedes 560 SL, which I is like... I think that was a reenactment car. Wow. <laughs> I don't think that... That's really... They must... That was some high cotton. Those uh, those corrections officers were being very well paid. Anyway, he crashes it into a tree. Yeah. 
which I believe is because he was driving and she was yeah. asking him to drive more safely. That's he right. Wasn't she because, was saying, you know, calm down, they, calm they down. They don't call him animal for nothing. Yeah, totally. But she is very much in the business of trying to manage him, to, 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 to sympathize with him, to, to, to make him feel less like she is less of a threat. Right. Um, so they crashed the car. So they're on foot in the wilderness, and they come upon a- an empty box car. Which is like, did he know this was going to be there, or did he just, you know, he could tell mm. there are a lot of empty box cars lying around East Texas. I don't think so because I think if he had the thing that happened next, wouldn't have happened. So he goes off in search of water, and and he, if he knew where he was, he would have known where the water was. And he leaves her alone, and she runs. Of course, she runs, and she runs, and she runs, and she bursts through the door of this isolated house. She falls on the floor, and there is a man who says immediately, I know who you are because your face is all over television. You're safe. I'm calling the police. He does. And they um, continue. This is now the largest manhunt in Texas history, the search for Jerry McFadden. And the search for her, but she's been found now. We don't know if it was to date or for all times, but yeah, it was a huge manhunt. And they find him in a shadowy house. They they find an empty house, and he's inside of it. That part of the story isn't really that dramatic. They order him to drop his gun, and he, and does. he does, which surprised yeah. me. That I, you that thought he would go me. down by cop. I thought he would be de- a suicide by cop. Yeah. yeah, I didn't think he would surrender his gun, but he did. Yeah, and so they took him in. So the prosecutors spend months building their case, and they're going for the death penalty because Texas. Uh, the trial begins on March 30th, 1987. Jerry McFadden never talks or opens his mouth. Never speaks to his lawyer To at his all. own lawyer. Ever. Never says anything. Uh, he's found guilty of Suzanne's death, and he is placed in the Texas prison system. On October 14th, 1999, he is executed. And Suzanne's parents went... Suzanne's parents went, but her sister Letitia, who is uh, inter- interviewed throughout the special, says she was pregnant with her third child and battling cancer when he got executed. So she took a pass, which oh, I think is more than I didn't get the cancer. Yeah, yeah. she's oh battling cancer and pregnant. She's Jesus, not, she's what a like, day. She was yeah, having a really bad day. I really, no one blames her for yeah, taking no. a pass on the execution. I, can't, I wouldn't have blamed her if she was feeling fine. Yeah. So that was, okay, that was, what did Eric Shaw Quinn hear? I mean, you heard that, you know, there was no romantic involvement between these three young people. Yeah, the part that that I, the thing that I heard, the small town part of it was, huh. Yeah. What was going on with these three people? I didn't think it was anything terrible or untoward, Mm -hmm. but I felt like, particularly the relationship between the two girls just seemed like there's more to this relationship than um, is being presented. I could be wrong, and I don't think it's anything particularly sinister one way or the other. Uh, well, it, as And nobody went out of their way to deny anything. It was just not mentioned or brought up. And given the time period, it wouldn't have been. No, absolutely not. Absolutely would not. Never, and lar- in large measure, because nobody would have considered it. No. Like, one of the things, like, Death Trap works mm-hmm. with that surprise, because in the moment that they, that play happened and that movie came out and I'm not going to say what happens because if you haven't seen it you really should um, but the surprise is, is that nobody thinks about gay relationships mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know I guess that really is telling I, I, something, there's but, no there's no way to not know what it is now but it's yeah. fine I don't care it's what is the movies like oh my god it's, it was like came out in 1986 yeah, like it's right. really as old as this murder so yeah. yeah if you haven't seen it by now I don't feel really guilty but but like th- it was the that 
So I don't think it would have come up, and it certainly didn't play a part in the in the the crime. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but it did make me. I did sort of my little my little well, antennas came well, up. But the rest of it, I thought, seemed really straightforward. I yeah. was like, yeah. The thing that always astonishes me with these crimes is how fast the solution unfolds. Mm-hmm. Like he was in jail a, less than a week. After, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, what was it? The 10th, May 10th, I think they got him. Yeah. Like and, less or, than a week after yeah. it happened, he was in jail for it. And it was really clear that it was him. Like he could speak or not. That was amazing that he managed to go through that entire process without ever saying anything to anyone. Mm-hmm. And he did not look better than. His reenactor. No, he did not. His reenactor was rough looking, but you know, TV rough looking. Yeah, totally. Uh, the guy himself looked crazy. Crazy, crazy, terrifying. The kind of person you would fear in a monster movie, yeah. in a horror. You would movie. cross yeah. the street. If you he picked was this because this is as close to Halloween. This is our Halloween episode, it's and coming this out was terrifying. On Halloween. This was a total slap. You can see now. There are certain this, crimes. Was like the, there's certain crimes from. All the, he needed was a hockey mask. There are certain crimes from the '80s. That are like, you understand why there were a lot of slasher movies during this period. There were so, like, crazy man comes out of the woods and wreaks havoc on people. This is like, okay, I can see why somebody would see this news story and be like, I'm going to go write Friday the 13th. Yeah, you know? or Ted Bundy comes in your yeah. sorority house with a log and beats totally. you unconscious yeah. into death in your bed. Like, Just yeah. nuts. Just yeah. nuts. Yeah, I, I have to say, I think in terms of pure fear, though, not to turn this into a retrospective episode, we did um, an episode about the... Oh, his name is escaping me. The Santa Cruz guy who was obsessed with earthquakes, right? And he thought that he oh, was receiving God. messages, and he killed his friend, and he killed those the family out in the woods, and he killed, and it was like, and he's one of two really terrifying serial killers from Santa Cruz, California. Yeah. It's like, what is happening up in the mountains of Santa Cruz? Yeah. You know, that was that was some scary shit. But also like the seventies, eighties, you know. But he himself was not so terrifying. Like if you met yeah. him. And that might have been part of what was the reason he was, you know, as prolific as he was. Because yeah. you wouldn't meet him and think, oh, this is somebody I need he was to be very afraid handsome. of. Yeah, yeah and handsome. didn't seem intimidating. This guy seemed physically and just um, essentially yeah. uh, terrifying and intimidating. But in terms of the, 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 the reporting, I'm with you. They mm-hmm. did a great job. Yeah. It was very well covered. I didn't feel like anything was left out except for the information about the gun. I thought that was a really strange omission, even if the, the, the only information was they never found the gun. Yeah. That's really relevant information. Yeah. Like, you need to tell me that. Yeah, totally. Like, I felt like that was the only thing that was missing. But it didn't make any difference because, obviously, they had more than enough proof to, that he had murdered Suzanne, and so he was convicted and and then, however you feel about it, executed for that crime. But, yeah. But he got, there was some justice involved for the kids. And while they didn't ever bring anybody to justice for Gina and Brian... It was him. I also don't want to be a dick about small towns. I really love small town stuff, and I think small town. There are aspects of small town life that I love reading about and seeing on television. And so I was actually quite moved by the extent to which the yeah. the town came together. I know I said if there was something dark under the surface of this town, they didn't get to it. But that doesn't mean it 
it was there, you know, and I don't want But wanna... there was, because there's yeah. something dark under the surface in all places. Exactly. And I, I don't think small towns are special. The only thing that they ever say about small towns that puts me off is the backbone of America. It's like, no, most people actually live in cities, so yeah, you really need to stop saying that. I think small towns are great, mm-hmm. and I think that what goes on there is great and essential to the American experience, farming and all kinds of aspects of our culture, but... But most people actually live in cities. But And also the fact of the matter is, and I think this is what the story was about, even if they didn't say it explicitly, that small towns don't keep out the evil. Just because space and isolation can't keep the monsters away. Like you still have to sort of live as we all live with the reality that there are certain people out there, wherever you are, who are truly broken. And you know? I am far more terrified... Um, in a wooded area where you can hear a babbling brook and crickets than I am in the middle of a metropolitan. Well, that is because because you are cricket-phobic, and that is the topic for our next episode, Eric's Cricket Phobia. Is that what's next Uh, week? No, do you know what's next week? What's next week, Christopher? It's our 100th episode of Christopher and Eric. no idea. 100 episodes, and because it is our 100th episode, we decided to celebrate by asking you, our party people, on the Facebook page for The Dinner Party Show, uh, how you integrate Christopher and Eric into your lives. And, um, yeah, so the we... The podcast, not actually us. Us. How do you follow... How we do you, don't know you, but How do you not personal, take our but... words and, and live dangerously by them, is how I prefer to put it. No. Oh, God. Really? Are we also, dangerous? Also, also. Just our words. Also, in next week's episode, we will be talking about one of the four new novels I have coming out in 2022. So that's just not about the hundredth episode, but you know, everybody drink every no. That's not if it's scripted. It's if I so impromptu episodes leading up to Christopher has four books. Absolutely, that's absolutely it. That's absolutely everybody it. drink. You can have the whole punch. Bowl. I have the whole punch. Bowl. Actually, I will say to tease some of the responses we got. Most people listen on Sunday morning, so if they are drinking all through our podcast. They might have some problems. I hope they're not leaving the house. I hope yeah. they've already been to church. Don't listen and drive. Don't listen and drive. Friends don't let their friends listen to Eric and Christopher and drive. <laughs> Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Woohoo! Thanks. This is TDPS.